Well, good morning. Are we ready? All right. Well, let's just do some clean house. Uh, rule number one, most in most classrooms around the United States, they do not allow their students to eat in class for obvious reasons. <laughs> but this is not an atypical high school classroom. Many of you have already gone beyond that. So you can't eat in the classroom, you know. So And whatever it is you choose to bring to eat that's apart from this, always remember you got to buy it in pairs, one for you and one for the teacher. Because that will get you detention or get you written up. Okay? All right. My kids come in there. Then the bell rings. Uh, they come in the hallway, and I see them eating. And I look at them. And they know the look. And they put their head down. Because we're sorry we didn't buy two. <laughs> oh, you're feeling conviction. Which is one of the, the what we're going to talk about, conviction. So, anyway, it's good to have everybody. It's good to have Diane back from Singapore. It's good to have you back, Diane. Amen. We, uh, we had a serendipity this morning, yeah, was the fact that uh, I, I will demand West Clyde that we fly United if we could, because of the leg room. Now, I don't know why I'm always drawn to places where there's a lot of leg room, and I have no idea why, but uh, I'm fond of leg room when I'm flying, okay, because uh, I've been in some spaces that was not so, that tested my, 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 uh, my sanctification, my holiness, <laughs> So anyway, but it's good to have everybody. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you this morning for all that you've done and what you're doing in the lives of of your people. Today, we ask that the Holy Spirit will open up our heart and speak to us, that we will clearly understand the things that you want us to know and the truths that we're hearing. Father, we thank you for all of your sons and daughters that are sitting here. And Father, we thank you that you have committed yourself to complete the work that you've started in each and every one of us. And Lord, you are faithful to that work. I pray that you radically transform our hearts and mind uh, by your word, your most precious word. And I ask, Father, as the speaker or the teacher of this class this morning, I submit myself to the work of the Holy Spirit and render myself helpless without your power. And Lord, we thank you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, I know someone forgot to tell you, but there is a quiz this morning. Ah, pop quiz. Okay. All right, who can tell me very quickly, we had four pictures. We talked about the power of God's word. There were four things we gave you. Close your books, close your books, close your books, close your books. Like, like, uh, come on, we're in church, people. <laughs> we said there were four things, four pictures the word of God was like. And what were they? Give me one. Someone. Ah, we got to raise your hand. Oh, rule number two. <laughs> rule number two. We raise our hand. Don't your teachers tell you to raise your hand? What school you go to? Central? What school you go to? Which school? By you blue? What school you go to? Okay, same as her. You, you sound so excited. Same as her. I don't know why my mama make me go to that school with her. <laughs> I'm ready for another school. They make you raise your hand, right? Okay. Rule number two, raise your hand. Yes, ma'am. Give me one. The word is like a hammer. What do you mean when you say the word is like a hammer? Breaks the rock. What is the thing that in the lesson we talked about that needed to be broken? That's hard. Our hearts, our attitudes. So we got a hammer. Somebody give me another picture. Ma'am, all the way in the back. What's your first name? Celeste. Celeste. It's like a lamp. And how is the word of God like a lamp? How, how is it like a lamp? Ah, violation. You didn't raise your hand. Yeah. You're going to see the principle. 
It shines. What is the purpose of the lamp? What is the purpose of what does a lamp do, sir? What's your first name? Stephen. Lights our path. Why do we need why do we need our path lit? Why do we need illumination in our path? Why is that a necessity? Ma'am, first name? Connie. Why do we need our light, our path lit? Yeah. Right. Twofold. One, we live in darkness, spiritual darkness. So the light is, nece- is, a, is, ne- is a necessity for those that are lost to find their way. But what, is, what about the saved? What is the purpose of the light for the saved? Yes, sir. What's your first name? Daniel. Makes us stand out. Good. They, good. Like a lighthouse when ships are out at sea and they get lost and they see the lighthouse. Good. Someone else? L- lamp. Yes. First name? Latanya. Right, right. Very good. And also, the, 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 lit, the lamp allows us to stay on the path. Because, you know, I don't know. I'm not a big camper guy. Where are my guys at that love to camp at night? I know you can be camp. You know, you know how easy it is to get lost? Now, I was in Boy Scouts for one year and one year only. My father was so disappointed as a military man because, I, mean, I mean, he taught us, you know, uh, we go well, left face, right face, about face. Well, I can't do it because my shoes are sticky. He taught us all that. And, he, you know, and I couldn't understand why military guys, when you march, they only said left as if you didn't have a right. Left, left, like, okay, do we have a right side? Okay. But, yeah, so the lamp is necessary not only for the lost to see the way, but it's also for believers to stay on the path. So we got a hammer. We got a lamp. What else? What are you giving up? Yes, sir. What's your first name? Carl. Huh? Carl. Carl. Okay, Carl, give me one. A sword. Okay, and why is it called, why is it the, the word of God called a sword? What is the purpose of a sword? Well, it cut away the truth from your life. Yeah, yeah, that's one. Somebody else give me another reason why it's called a sword. Anybody? And bring you on the front row with this nonsense. <laughs> I'm going to put you in a headlock, big fella. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Huh? Okay, it sharpens. And the purpose of this being sharpened does what? Good. Yeah, because when you read the word, it's going to cut you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yes. Yes, very good. Man, they, y'all teacher must have did a great job last week. Man, you did a great job, man. And we got... We got a hammer, we have a lamp, we have a sword, and one more. One more, one more, one more. Sir, all the way back, first name? Craig. Craig. Seed. And how is the word of God like a seed? What does it do? What does it do? Right, right, it's spread. It produces a what? A harvest. Very good. And the Bible says, when it talks about the word as a seed, it's an imperishable seed. It's not going anywhere. And then we can put our confidence in the word of God uh, as a seed, simply because it will not return to him void. Snow fall from heaven. The rain come down. And it's not going back, but it waters the earth. It accomplished what it was purposed for. And so the seed, the word of God is like a seed. And all we need to do is get people 
in front of the word, get the word in them, get the word in your children. And I promise you, the word will work once you get in. But we got to get it in there. Amen. Um, can we get someone to turn the air on or whatever? Because, you know, when the minutes I seem fanning. Okay. Well, this morning, you might have any idea what we're going to talk about. Biblical sanctification. Now, before I begin the lesson, begin the lesson, um, let me give you an illustration. For every woman that has ever moved into a brand new house, you're going to identify with, with this illustration. For every man, every husband that has moved into a brand new house that is married to a woman that loves the brand new house. Boy, as soon as the brand new house is ready to move in, there are certain things in the old house you cannot bring. They will not bring in the new one. And let the sister say, amen. See, every man has that one comfortable chair that every woman despises. And so as we begin to move, she goes and goes shopping, go bring all these furniture, get rid of the, I don't want this mattress, this, this bedroom stuff. We need a new living room. Set. But every man has that one chair. You know, and we say, like, baby, you got to let me bring this one chair. This, this, she, and, and she just put it up. No. Well, why? Because it's old. Yeah, but it's comfortable. I've been, all my grooves in, are in the seat. It knows me. <laughs> me and the chair are one. I'm very comfortable in the chair. Any man know what I'm talking about? Any man has that type of chair? Yes, yes, very comfortable. But it's interesting that. When we talk about biblical sanctification, you're going to see as we navigate through the lesson, it's all about us making choices, moving away from that which is comfortable. Because now that we have a new life, there is some old stuff that can't come in. We've got to make a choice to leave that old comfortable couch where it needs to be at, where it's at, that which is old. Is that a good illustration? Good illustration. How many of you guys read through the lesson like this week? Just out of curiosity. Just okay. Okay. Well, let's go. The word sanctification comes from the word sanctify. Sanctify simply means set apart. It simply means set apart. Now, what that simply means when we talk about set apart, and if you look at the Old Testament in the building of the temple, there were certain things that was used in the temple place in the temple that only would be used and could be used for a specific purpose. And so that thing was set apart. Well, now that you and I are saved, then you and I have been set set apart for a specific use or a specific purpose. Sanctification is the process that all believers are in from the moment of their salvation. Sanctification is the process that all believers are in from the moment of their salvation. Now, here's the order. There cannot be sanctification without salvation first. There must be salvation and then sanctification. Because here's what we learned from the, last, uh, from the last week's lesson about the power of the word of God. Our heart will not conform to the word of God unless the heart has been what? Changed. Unless the heart has been changed. So sanctification is the process that all believes. It is the ongoing. It is ongoing. If, if we really look at sanctification and everyone in here loves God, we would literally wear this shirt. Please be patient with me. God is still working with me. Or please be patient with me. I'm still under God's construction. If you really want to be in it, you know. And that's why we have to give room. Now, for God to do his work in all of our lives, but it doesn't, 
excuse us to give us a license to sin. Everybody understand that? I want to make sure we're clear with that. Sanctification says that God is perfecting us. I'm saved, but he's perfecting me in the areas of my behavior. But it's not a license to continue doing what we're doing in the past. From the moment of our salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells us and empowers us to become conform into the image of Jesus. From the moment of our salvation, at the point you said yes to the the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in. And then he's the engine that makes the car go. Okay? He empowers us to become conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Sanctification process is a, this is the thing I want you to understand, it is a lifelong, a lifelong process. Somebody say lifelong. Okay? As long as you're breathing and blood is running through your veins and you're living, loving God, this is going to be a constant taking off, burning off, cutting away of a lot of stuff. And I think what happens, uh, guys, is so many people get frustrated. New believers get frustrated initially with, uh, with their new life because somehow they believe that I'm not going to have any struggles anymore. That my old thinking, I'm, not, I'm just going to think heavenly thoughts, <laughs> angels and unicorns, butterflies and sunshine. I would love to tell you, you know, that's the way it is when you can say, but it's really not. The Bible, there was a whole chapter in Ephesians that talks about spiritual warfare. Okay? So it is an ongoing process. You know, some people says, man, I thought when I got saved, I would, you know, I don't have to struggle with this anymore. Matter of fact, it is because you are saved, the enemy is going to test his old waters. Come on, somebody. He's coming to test you to see if he, if you are really serious about this walk, have you really been delivered in this area? Are you really committed to this sanctified life of displaying God in your behavior? So we see that that from the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes in and we're conformed to the image of Christ. Sanctification process is a lifelong process. Being, I want you guys to circle these two words, set apart. Being set apart unto God in ways in which we, here's the thing, think, speak, and act. What are we set apart? Three ways. The way we think, the way we speak, and the way we act. That's powerful. True, un- to understand where we are spiritually, look at how your thought process. What's coming out of your mouth? And how are you acting? The primary tool of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit uses to mature us as believers, as we looked at it before, or to sanctify us, is obviously God's Word. It is the primary tool that God uses to bring correction and to sanctify us. It is, I like to believe the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, is biblical instruction before leaving earth. I love that. Biblical instructions before leaving earth. How do I, how do I know how Christ wants me to live unless I open his word? And he, in his word, he begins to show me this new righteous life. Okay. Now, I want you to put the word key by this statement. Just write the word key by this statement. The Bible was not written to satisfy our curiosity. It was written to transform our lives. Put the word key next to that. That's that's a key phrase right there. The Bible was not written to satisfy our curiosity. It was written to transform our lives. Interesting, Titus chapter 1, verse 1 sort of shows us this and tells us this. It says, Paul 
a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Let me read it again. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So let's look at this verse right now. Look at the last part, that leads to godliness. In this verse, what leads to godliness? Look at the verse. What leads to godliness? The what? Just truth leads to godliness, right? Right? Truth leads to godliness, right? Huh? The knowledge of it. See, there can be truth beyond you, but if you don't know it, it does you no good. For example, okay, what's your first name? Savannah. Where were you born and raised? Home of Louisiana. Have you ever lived anywhere outside of Louisiana? Baton Rouge, okay. Uh, Have you visited any other state? Where? Give me one. Oh, just give me one. Okay, Hawaii. Let's say you went to Hawaii and you stayed there for an extended period of time and then you moved back. Unbeknownst to you, something happened where you came into, your name came up, and there were about $30,000 that was accessed to you, for, for you. But that's a truth that those in that area know. But unless you become knowledgeable of that $30,000 that is for you in your name, it does you no good. When, it, when you become aware of it, then you can access what you have learned about that money, okay? It is not the truth itself from this perspective that leads to godliness. It is the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Amen? The living out of God's word is like talking or taking the word of God and putting it on like a new change of clothing. This is the picture we get from Titus chapter 2. Again, living out God's word is like taking the word of God and putting it on like a new change of clothes. This is the picture we get from Titus chapter 2. Let's take a look at it, verse 1 through 10. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Somebody say sound doctrine. Now, here's what he begins to outline for Titus. The older men be what? Be what? Be what? Temperate and also what? Sound in faith. Now notice he attaches these, 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 uh, these words that identify what an older mature man should look like having gone through the sanctifying process of God. One, the older man is sober. That's here where he's living his life with the reality of what's real from God's perspective. He's reverent. He's temperate. He's not out of control. He is sound in his faith, not moved by every wind of doctrine and faith, in love and in patience. And then it says, now, what about the older women? Likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, you know, not slanderers, slanderers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husband, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husband, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the younger men, here we go, to be what? Sober-minded. He said, as you see these older men living this type of life, he says, encourage the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, 
watch this, sound speech in verse 8, that cannot be condemned, that, what's the reason why we do all of this? Why do we do all this? That the one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of us. Wow. That's what the sanctifying work of God is for. Because God knows we're going to have people who are not going to like you because they don't like Jesus. And they're ready to make accusation against your character. Why? Because the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. And he says, if you live your life in such a way that where God is sanctifying you and you are taking the word of God and allow it to sanctify your life. So the way you live, your opponents cannot say anything evil about you. I always tell my kids this. You can't stop people from saying bad stuff about you. What you can help is whether or not it is the truth. That much you can do. And verse 9, exalt bond servants to be obedient to the, their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the, they, that, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. Here's another one of the keys I want you to write. Write the word key by this one. Attractive truth is applied truth. Please say that with me. Attractive truth is what? Applied truth. See, the word of God means nothing if we can't what? Apply it. The living out of lives that honor God should be the result of reading and studying God's word. Now, I love this. Watch this. The word of God is the tool. The word of God is the tool that God uses to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. The word of God becomes the tool that God uses to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are all at different stages on, on this journey, becoming more like Christ in ways in which we think, speak, and act. Every single one of us is at a different level in our walk with Jesus Christ. And one of the things that God requires of us is to be patient with his work in the lives of our fellow believers, even the, our family members. Boy, I have, I, I have seen so many times, Matt, Pastor Matt, I know you've, uh, you've done some counseling. Um, Pastor Clyde, you've done some counseling. And how many times have you heard where the wife says, well, you know, I want to pray and read the word, but my husband has no desire to want to pray or might have no desire to want to come to church. And you can see where it causes some problems, you know. But the Bible specifically says that a woman's uh, chase attitude toward a husband where he is spiritually can win him over to the Lord. The Bible is very specific, but you can see that there are many of us uh, are in different levels of our walk. James chapter 1, verse 21 through 25, let's take a look at it. It says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to do what for your souls? Save it. But be doers of the word, And not just what? Only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. And why would a man keep looking at his face in a mirror? For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of the liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in whatever he does. Wow, that's powerful. 
So let's take a look at, there are three, uh, what I call biblical steps to sanctification. And I like to call it the UCA. When I thought about it, it's just the Universal Central Arkansas or uh, some of those who are in the United Cheerleading Association. You know, just, I just try to use these, these letters. So UCA. The first one, you is understanding. Somebody say understanding. Now, how do you know if you understand something? Well, you, whatever it is that you understand, you stand under it. Whatever it is that you understand, you stand under it. We know the purpose of an umbrella, okay? We know what, it's, what it was designed to do. It would be foolish for us to know what this umbrella is designed to and its purpose to walk out in the rain with the thing folded up and we're getting wet and we're like, I cannot believe it's raining today. I am getting soaked and wet. You're not foolish that we look, and you got an umbrella in your hand? See, you understand the purpose of the thing, so you open it up and you do what? You stand under it and it covers you. The thing you understand is the thing you stand under and you allow it to cover you. So the first thing we need to understand, again, God's pattern for spiritual growth starts with our what? Understanding what the Bible says and what it means. The meaning of the scripture is the scripture itself. When, when, when everything else fails, just let the scripture say what it's saying. You know, if God says that you should no longer walk now that you believe that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk or you should walk in, in light, don't walk in darkness. It don't need a, a biblical interpretation. Let's see. That means what does that mean not to walk in darkness? That means don't walk in darkness. It's it, it getting easier and simpler than that. OK, the meaning of the scripture is the scripture itself. If you don't know what it means, you don't have the truth. So the process of spiritual growth Starts with understanding what the Bible says. The process of spiritual growth starts with understanding what the Bible says. So if we're going to be transformed and made perfect, it has to start with our understanding of the context of what the scripture is telling us. True sanctification begins with renewing your mind, renewing your mind. You're not going to get there through an emotional or mystical experience. Spiritual growth won't happen by osmosis. It requires discipline of constantly putting God's truth in your mind. So again, sanctification begins with renewing the mind. It requires discipline and constantly putting God's word and his truth in our mind. You notice what it's saying. We got saved. That's what Christ did. But now that we are saved, he says, now there is some, some work you need to do. Now notice, I don't like saying that Christianity is a religion because it's not. But for the sake of the argument and all the other, we'll just put it within this uh, verbal context. People say it's a religion. Christianity is the only religion, if we want to call it religion, is a religion of done. Christ did the work already. All other religions says you have to do things, you have to do things, you have to work to be saved. And it's just the opposite with Christianity. There is no amount of work you could ever do in which one can be saved. But where does the work come in? You ready? Now that I'm saved, I got some work to do. Everybody got me? Now that I'm saved, there is some work to do. And notice so far we've been talking about changing the furniture in the house. You can sit up here in the house all you want. It's like, okay, I want that couch over there. 
I'd love to have that couch over there. You could even just sit and look at that couch. Until you're willing to put some muscle behind that hustle, that couch is going to stay right there. Amen? Christ has already changed us from the inside. Now the work begins as a result of the salvation. And the work comes from the instructions of God's word. Example. Give me a lot of examples. Okay? Now that I know I've changed and God is trying to rearrange my attitude, every now and then, God's going to give me an opportunity for my attitude to flare up. He's going to put people in my path to test my Christianity. He does it. Edomie does it as well. Be careful what you pray for. Lord, I want patience. Lord, give me patience. Lord, God looking like, okay, okay. First of all, you're going to cause Matt. He might allow you to lose the job you have, put you on another job by the person that nobody wants to work with. And then they might, he might put you under their leadership. He says, now, let your patience have its perfect work. <laughs> okay? <laughs> wow. So we look at the fact that here, God's pattern, again, starts with understanding what the Bible says. It is a slow process of spiritual growth. The true sanctification begins when we start with the renewing of the mind. You're not going to go through some type of emotional, mystical experience. The spiritual growth won't happen by osmosis, but it requires discipline of constantly putting God's truth in your mind. Let's look at Romans 12, 1. 12, 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your what? As a what? And you know, the only problem with a living sacrifice is that it has a tendency to jump off the altar when the, when the heat gets too hot. But he wants a living sacrifice. In other words, he wants a sacrifice that says, God, this hurts, this is hot, but I'm going to stay here. That's what a living sacrifice says. I understand what is going to come out of this. I'm not going nowhere. This hurts. You know, you, you know we, sometimes we look at God and say, God, you're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. <laughs> you're killing me, Smalls. But he says, the heat that I put you in is not to destroy you, but to perfect you. He says, holy and acceptable unto God. That's only one type of sacrifice he wants. It's one that is holy. And then he accepts it. We see it in Genesis with the two boys uh, uh, that one brought up a profane offering. The other one brought up an offering of the blood. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Wow. Wow. We must also understand ourselves. We must understand God's word, but we must also understand ourselves. We need to understand our strengths and our weaknesses. We must understand ourselves. We must understand our strengths and weaknesses. We need to be aware of the areas in which we need to grow spiritually. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 gives us a picture of that. It says this. Let's read that together because I, I, you know, I, I want us to read together. And then we just want you to hear what he's saying to us. Ready? Read. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you. Stop right there. Read that again. One more time. Nothing will get us in hot water more than thinking we're all that, a bag of chips, Oreo 
cookies and a, a glass of milk. If it wasn't for the grace of God, guess where we would be? Were it not for Jesus Christ, the mercies of God. I grew up in Pentecost, okay? And, and so for anybody who have grown up in Pentecost, no one probably know what I'm talking about. Okay, many exposed. Know what I'm talking about. If we're not careful, we will begin to claim all this power that we're doing it ourselves. And how many times have you seen and heard that? And so we exalt ourselves above, you know, than, highly than what we should. I am a man of faith and power. Come over to my church and you'll see the miracles and signs of God. You will see people get. Uh, dude, first of all, first of all, you are nothing without Christ. We are nothing without Christ. And he gives us a, a, an illustration that we got to understand what are our strengths and our weaknesses. But we need to also be aware that we need to grow spiritually because it is we understand because of our weaknesses that we need to place ourselves under the tutorage of the Holy Spirit so that he can continue moving us in the direction we want us to be. So he says that do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with what type of judgment? Sober judgment in order in accordance with with the faith God has distributed to each and every one of them. And I love this because what it reveals is says, think of yourself with sober judgment. When I think of the word sober, I think about a person who is aware, fine tuned. You know, and if you look at the sober judgment, I think about a person that is not sober. It's, have you ever seen some of those videos where the person has just been drinking? They try, they're trying so desperately once they get out of the car to walk that straight line. In their mind, in their mind, they are walking that straight line. You can't tell them. They're feeling miserable. In their mind, they are. I am walking. And they just like, and they say, put your finger, put your finger out and put your finger on your nose. And they just... And they want so desperately to be able to do that, but something has taken over their, their bodies to where they can't walk straight, neither can they put their finger on it. And that's what happens What God is telling us in, in, in Romans chapter 3. It says that we are to think, think of yourself soberly in light of the faith, accordance with the faith that God has distributed to everyone else. He says, don't see yourself the way you see yourself. See yourself the way God sees you. Because the Bible tells us that every single person has sinned and comes short of God's glory. All of us. Spiritual growth begins with understanding. Understanding the biblical text and understanding yourself with sober judgment. So what is this uh, understanding takes place? It takes place with the biblical text and understanding yourself with sober judgment. We must look into the mirror of God's word. And be willing to honestly evaluate our spiritual condition based on our understanding of the text. You know, when we read, when we sit, when we sit in the seat of God's house and we hear the word coming forth, the first thing you and I need to ask ourselves, Lord, what areas of my life is this message needing to hit and to change? Amen. Every time we come to church or we listen to a song or we listen to a message, it's not for, did you hear what he just said? <laughs> or you look down at your kids and go. <laughs> now, I know you don't do that to your kids, right? <laughs> the oldest girl did this. She went. <laughs> I just put you on blast, girl. <laughs> you did good. Keep your head down. <laughs> no, no, no. The word of God is for us. 
Okay? Once the word comes, Lord, show me what areas that I honestly need to evaluate myself. Our understanding of God's word leads to the next step in the process. We've got the understanding process, step one. Step two is what? Conviction. As we grow, as you grow in the understanding of the Bible, you begin to develop convictions. Somebody say convictions. Out of that understanding, those convictions or another word for conviction is the word belief. Those convictions or beliefs determine how you and I live or at least how we endeavor to to live. As God's truth, as God's truth takes over our mind, it produces principles that you do not desire to violate. That's sanctification. It's the transformation. The word transform is metamorphe, metamorpho. That is this process of starting one way and then looking totally different. Okay? That is sanct- that sanctification. It's, it's the transformation of your heart and your will that complies or compels you to obey God's word. That, that sanctification, it is a transformation of your heart and your will that compels you to obey God's word. You know, when you look at the first century church, you know, you ask yourself, man, are we as committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ as these people were? They were staring down lions, watching the lions rip their brothers and sisters from limb from limb, babies being snatched out of their arms. They were crucified upside down. Many were burned at the stake. But they, 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 they had this, this incredible conviction that what they believed was real, so real they were willing to die for it. You know, in America, I know we, we haven't gotten to that point, and all it is is just verbal against the believers, but, you know, I believe it's going to grow more and more intense, the hatred of God, the hatred of Jesus Christ, the hatred of, hatreds of his word and absolute truth, and for those who follow it. But we have to be convicted that the reason why I'm not doing it, not because I might get caught, but because my heart compels me to live out the true meaning of my salvation. I'm convicted. Paul speaks of how his convictions were influenced by what he believed in 2 Corinthians chapter 4.13. Look at what it says. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believe, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. Paul believed, therefore, he did what? He spoke. You know, when you're excited about something, you're going to tell people. You know, I, I always use, I talk about ladies all the time. You know, when they have a, how should I put it? You have 40% off of 60%. What? Girl, you need to get on down to Dick Dillard's. You just need to get there. Okay, that ain't going to leave the guys out. You know, especially when they go on sale, when the guns and fishing equipment and golfing equipment go on sale. What? Especially that one, that one golf club, Clyde, you've been wanting to get. And you've been having your eye on it, bro. You put that club in your crosshairs. And finally, it has gone to sale. And you're hoping that nobody else has saw it but you. Lord, I pray that you will blind all the other golfers. That you do not give them revelation to see what I've just seen. That when I walk in there, there will be one. And as I walk in the store, the, the heavens will open up and the shine on that one. Yes, you were going to say something. <laughs> <laughs> 
Seriously? <laughs> it, went, it was on sale and you went. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Lord, I tell you what, the, the anointing God is strong in here this morning. <laughs> wow, unbelievable. But we have conviction. He says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak and so did Paul. When you read the Bible, you're not just trying to know it academically. You study the word of God to develop a set of convictions that rule your life, that informs your conscience. But I'm not going to go too far too fast with that because this is so important. We don't study the word of God to become academically powerful with the word of God because most people will miss heaven by 18 inches. They have an under, they have the word of God. They know the scriptures right here, but it never gets right here to the heart. Now, I don't know if that's really 18 inches between the head and the heart, but I've heard enough people say it, so I'm going to go with it. You know, that theory, has that theory ever been tested, Clyde? I mean, your son is a medical veteran. We just ask him about that. Okay. Or you, or he's, he's got the book right there. <laughs> your head is a little bit further up. But, I mean, you think about that. There are so many people that are, when it comes down to understanding the, the 66 books of the Bible can rattle off scriptures like this. But then you look at their lifestyle and it totally says, so. how can you know that much about the scriptures and live totally opposite of what you? Well, the same way the Pharisees and Sadducees did. They knew the law. But when the truth or the reality of what they have learned was standing before them, they couldn't see it because their hearts were wrong. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, amen, amen. So here we study the word of God to develop convictions that rule our, our life, to inform our conscience and guide us toward greater Christ-likeness. That's the word, to guide us along Christ-likeness. Godly convictions that are developed in your life from exposure to transformational truth looks like this. And now we have this, this chart here. I want you to quickly see it. Look at it. All right. Here's, here's what it looks like. The old man has old beliefs. The new man has new beliefs. The old man has old values. The new man has new values. The old man has old, old behaviors. The new man has new behaviors. The old man, old habits. The new man, new habits. The old man, old relationships. That's a tough one right there. Because sometimes it's hard to break away from the people you've been hanging out with. And, 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 and here's the problem. Sometimes we don't really want to break away because we don't want to seem too righteous or too holy. But sometimes you've got to break away because they have an influence on your life and you got to, you're in another direction now. Okay? The old man has, has an old outlook. The new man has a new outlook. The old man has his old purpose. That's leaving that same chair with the grooves in the same place, but now you've moved into a new place. We can't bring the old chair. The old man has the old environment. The new man has a new environment. The new man doesn't continue going to the places that they used to go before knowing Christ. The old man has an old job and career. The new man has a new job and career. Now I, I, I'm a minister and ambassador of Jesus Christ. So now he has given me a new area to walk in life. Okay? The old man has an old character. The new man has a new character. I'm not what I used to be. But thank God I'm not where I'm going to be because he's still working on me. The old man has an old moral system. His compass is out of whack. His moral compass is all whacked out. But the new man has a new moral because now God has readjusted the springs in his moral compass. Amen? 
The old man has old desires and passion. The new man has new desires and passion. The old man has old communication language. And now there is a new language that comes with the new man. He speaks differently. Now, the third one, as we get ready to close, is the third one is affections. So we have understanding. We have convictions. The second and the third is affection. First Peter 2, 2 says this, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. Just like a baby longs for its mother's milk. As believers in Christ, we too should have that same hunger for God's word. Now remember, this is not to, looking at God's word and reading is not just to increase your knowledge, but to bring convictions that compels us to live according to his standard. But in order for that to happen, then there has to be a desire to want that word. Our affections are influenced by what we are feeding on every day. We begin to love what we consistently put in our mind and our heart. Wow. You know, uh, the one thing I tell men all the time, he says, whatever, my dad told me this, whatever you did to get Nadine, you got to continue doing that to keep her. Not that she's going anywhere, but think about it. There's not a single woman in here that's married would not from time to time throughout the course of the day, get a nice little text message from your husband. Because you know at this time he's really getting it. Boy, he's getting his work done. And all of a sudden, you get a ding, and you get a little text message. I was just thinking about you. Now, ladies, what does that do to you when you see that? Talk to me. Gets you giddy. Yeah, girl. I'm not going to even ask you to explain what that means. But, yeah, we just go with that. Get all gets like... He was thinking about me because in her mind, gentlemen, when you have stopped what you were doing in the course of a day and sent that text message like he loves me. Not that she questioned it, but the fact that whatever we spend our time thinking about, that's where our affections are. And then you get home, gentlemen. Oh, oh, oh. OK, let me move on. Let me move on. There are children in the building. <laughs> let me move on. So if you want to come home, it's like, yeah, did you get my text? Oh, yeah, we got the text message. If you truly grow, if you're truly growing spiritually, you don't read the Bible as mere education. You don't study it just to win an argument. You don't approach it casually or carelessly. And you don't flippantly disregard the truth. Now, boy, he, read, he reveals some things here. When you read the word of God, you don't read it merely just for an education or to study it because you want to win an argument. You don't approach it casually or carelessly, and you don't flippantly disregard its truth. If you're truly growing, you come to the scriptures eager. Somebody say eager for the spiritual nourishment it provides. Our affection and hunger for God's truth will be continual and nothing will keep us from it. I mean, you think about some of the love songs. Girl, time and space cannot keep me from your love. I will move heaven and earth to get to you. Man, you broke as Cooter Brown. How you going? You can't move yourself at your own job. Are you talking about you going to move heaven and earth? But you know how we do when we're in love, right, guys? Wow, come on, guys. Somebody, somebody say, amen, Brother Freddy. Why are you elbowing that man? Girl, what you hear? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Answer the man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we say stuff like that when we're in love. My wife, after we got married, 
And I didn't know this. And I say this at the marriage conference. And we got married. And all of a sudden, you know, and she said, Fred, I want you to open that bag up. We opened the bag. And she had a stack of letters that thick tied with a little uh, laced bow, ribbon. And I said, what are these? She says, every single letter you have wrote me, you have written to me from your freshman year to the day we got married. I'm like, whoa, are you serious? She kept every single letter. That was before cell phones, guys. And that, that was before cell phones. And I said, well, give me, you know, I, I just needed to see how mushy I was. I mean, I began to read some of them like, boy, that boy had it going. <laughs> Girl, I see why you married me. But she kept every single letter. And the Bible is God's love letter to us. But do we run to it? It satisfies us. It reveals to us who we are to God and who, how God sees us. Man, this affection is a powerful thing. But you won't truly love God's word if it's not already shaping the way you live. And it can't shape the way you live if you don't know it. That's why any method for spiritual growth, any method for spiritual growth that doesn't start with the study of God's truth cannot lead to true sanctification. Any method for spiritual growth that doesn't start with the study of God's truth cannot lead to true sanctification. Wow. As God's word is consistently put before our eyes and our ears, we begin to understand. We begin to stand under. Wow. That thing more clearly and it covers us. We begin to clearly understand who God is. Let me stop right there and say this. So many people make horrible accusations against God. And begin to set up another image of God in their mind. And begin to rail on Christianity. Calling us haters and, 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 and intolerant. But if they truly knew the word of God. And read the word of God within his context. They will truly understand the heart of God. And the accusation that they're making against Christians. Against Christianity and against God. Would cease. But because they make these accusations against Christianity, against Christianity as a religion, against God and Christians, they've never got into the book to really realize that that's not who God is. So it has to start with that. As God's word consistently put before our eyes, we begin to understand more clearly who God is. And as we come to understand who God is and what he requires of us, Wow. Convictions are developed. And those convictions are developed. And those convictions are developed. A deep love for God's word becomes the passion for our lives. The longer we live for Christ. The more passionate we should have. We should feel toward his word and toward him. I love Mama Betsy. Boy, I mean, this lady must say, but I mean, you just look at her. You just know that girl. Boy, she loves Christ. She loves God's people. She loves God's children. And, you, and she wears it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. 
And you can hear it when, well, when something is said that just touched that godless. And she says, oh, yeah. And she don't care about me, Ronnie. You just, and she says, oh, I just love God's word. And I love God's people. And I love Jesus Christ. And man, it's just, and she's a picture of what we all should be. And how we should be emotionally attached with our affections to God. You know, her husband died here on the property and passed away. But, you, you know, and you seeing, she said, Jesus has become my husband. And she said, I spend time loving on him every day. Like, whoa, that is amazing. It is ladies like that that should be able to be placed in front of those who are grieving with the loss, with their lost love, with their, the death of their loved ones. To, to, for her to show them every single day you need to grow passionately in love with Jesus Christ. And she oh, how long. Not a, she says, I want to see my husband, but I long to see Jesus Christ one day face to face because he is the lover of my soul. Wow, that's amazing. We can then say what the psalmist said in Psalms 19, chapter 19, verse 10 and 11. More to be desired than they than gold, even much more fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant worn in keeping them. There is great reward. There is no other book worthy of our full attention and our devotion. There is no other book that has the power to transform our lives and our friends' lives and our family's lives. Our prayer for every person here is that you would make a lifelong commitment to love, study, and apply the truth of God's word to your life. That's our desire. Amen. Father, we thank you. May our one desire and our only affection be for you. And as we love you, all the other loves in our lives, Lord God, is from, stems from our love for you. God, I pray that the lesson that this morning will take root in our hearts. That, God, we will understand who you are through your word and the context and how we should see your scripture. And then understand the context of your word that it will bring conviction in our lives that we are drawn to live our lives and our behaviors will reflect the fact that we know you. Not only that we understand your word and will bring convictions, but Lord, we give you our whole affection. Every aspect, mind, body, soul, spirit, we give to you, O oh God. That our, whatever we spend our time with has our heart. Father, I thank you for everything you've done this morning. And may we have one affection, and that's to love you more. God, we give you honor. We give you glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Before we, before we let you go, man, I, I thoroughly enjoyed our last two classes. But anyone have any comments or questions that you want to add to the lesson? We went through it, but we, got, we still got five minutes. So anyone have any questions or comments about the lesson? Something, how did the lesson help you? And what portion of the lesson maybe you connected with? Anyone? Anyone? All right. How many of you have been saved at least one year? Where are you? Uh, well, uh, had, or just newly saved. Just newly saved. No one? Okay. Five years? At least five? Ten? 
been saved for, huh? Okay. All right. 20 years you've been saved. 20 or more. 20 or more. Okay. So let's see. Anybody been saved a 30 plus, 30 plus, 30, 30, 30, 30, 40, 40. Okay. 50 years you've been saved. That girl still, girl, how long you been doing Jesus Christ? How long you been saved? 51 years, 52 years, and you still keep on keeping on. And Jesus, you love Jesus, and he still loves you. And that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. And to all of my young people, there it is right there. The world has nothing to offer you of any value of any, and of any substance. Only what we know of Christ and what we do for Christ has eternal value and eternal weight. Only what we know of God and who God is fills all areas of our lives. And anything else is a cheap substitute for the real thing. Amen. God bless you. Love you. And who's got next lesson? Pastor Matt's going to be next week. Amen. So we're looking forward to it. Amen. God bless you. God keep you. Have a wonderful time of service. Pray for the speaker, our pastor this morning, and enter worship. Say, God, touch my heart. Amen. Two, two, I, I